It's Thursday, August 20th, and welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, indeed. It is a happy Thursday. We're periscoping this episode. Which is always fun, you know, and I'll tell you another reason why it's happy. Thursday. I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit personally. Beyond the really quick, beyond the periscope, we're going to go into the Moser household here. Oh, a little bit. please! You know, a couple of weeks ago, we got a puppy, a new puppy, a little eight-week-old sort of retriever mix. Looks like it might be some uh, some some uh, Bernese Mountain Dog in there, whatever. Cute as can be, wonderful little dog, and she started having some trouble walking. And so she has a, a little bit of a condition that happens with big breed dogs, and their bones or joints don't quite, uh, you know, grow in, and then it's painful for them to walk. It's temporary apparently, but for like the last week and a half, she's been kind of just lying there, not able to really do anything, feeling really bad for her. And last night, she really started making the turn for the better. So now she's kind of walking good. around, feeling a lot better. The mood in the house is a lot more, uh, you know, optimistic, I guess. So yeah, it's a great Thursday. What's the dog's name? Her name is Dormy. And Dormy. so, for those out there who don't know, this is my wife's. My wife came up with this name, by the way. So I got to give her, you know, full props for it. Uh, but dormy is essentially it's a golf term, and, it, and basically, in, in shortest terms, it's just a term that means you can't lose. And so we thought nice. that it was a nice, uh, a nice, a nice name for her. easy to say. She responds to it, so dormy. Fantastic. Yeah. We are going to dip into the full mailbag, but we are going to start today with the business of stock ratings. And if you look at what's happening in the market today. Um, one of the big gainers today is Lumber Liquidators, and that's because we have uh, an analyst from Cantor Fitzgerald putting out a buy rating saying, we think that Lumber Liquidators has hit the bottom. And didn't uh, they have someone who actually took the CFO job? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's news in and of itself, right? Go. And then on the flip side, uh, shares of Walt Disney down around 5% uh, because another firm, Bernstein, comes out. With a downgrade, yep. um, saying, well, we thought this was an outperformer, now we think it's a market perform. Um, and a story that um, hasn't gotten quite as much attention as it probably should. And so we're going we're gonna to use these upgrades and downgrades to, to shed a little bit more light on this. And that is the fact that on Tuesday, a New York City law firm called on the SEC to consider allowing companies. To do away with quarterly earnings reports, uh, the firm is Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen, and Katz. I've never heard of the firm, but I I don't follow the law firms like I follow sports or movies, so there's no reason I would heard I would have heard of them. No. They are identified in the Wall Street Journal as an influential law firm. I see no reason to dispute that. Um, first and foremost, what do you think of this idea? So I, I think it's hard to say just like a blanket statement. Let's do it or not do it. Um, I think so. If I had my druthers, I, I would be all for reporting your quarterly results. In other words, have the company file the 10Q. I, I think that makes sense from an SEC perspective. Uh, it provides you know ultimate transparency really there. I, I personally, I think quarterly calls could be optional. I think the phone calls could actually be optional. I I personally would completely eliminate the Q and A sections from those calls because I tend to find them more more useless than useful, um, and and I think that at least then you might be able to say well, you're not going to have to worry. I think ultimately I would eliminate the guidance. I think the guidance is the biggest problem here. I mean everybody's for getting information. I think you know more information the better, right? And I think that's the biggest difference in the market. Today versus you know 40, 50 years ago, it's just we have access to information that we never had access to before, and so that's great. I like that. I think that really where we get in trouble is when these when these management teams start offering guidance, 
and they say, okay, well, we expect our you know revenues will come in at this, and earnings per share will come in at this. I mean, they're 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 giving us a number down to the penny. Now, sometimes they give it in a range, but but again, I mean, that guidance is really what sets up all those expectations. And so, with you know the Disney call, for example, that was a good one where you saw them in the middle of the call start ratcheting back a little bit on the guidance in regard to uh, you know potential ESPN subscriber headwinds and whatnot. I just I just feel like it's those expectations that set us up for either you know excitement or disappointment. So I, I could do without the guidance. I like the information. I'm fine with that. But I just I don't think we really need to go much further than that. Let me give a little bit of the history here because it's probably worth mentioning that the practice of requiring annual reports for U.S. companies started in 1934. In 1955, that was bumped up to semi-annual reports, yeah. and then in 1970. The quarterly reports. So, I'm sure that there were at least a few analysts on Wall Street who saw this story and just had a momentary heart palpitation. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean you're going to do away with quarterly? I, I, that's my livelihood, you know, that sort of thing. I don't think they have anything to worry about immediately, just because this um, this has been practiced for a very long time. And so, the, the idea that it's just going to change all of a sudden. I don't doubt the the veracity, or you know, I don't doubt the passion of this law firm and and their belief, but the idea that the SEC is just going to up and do away with this, or or just sort of say, well, let's go back to semi annual reports, because you and I were talking beforehand. I, I, I this isn't fair, but I, when I look at different companies, I think no, 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 you over here, I want you, I want to hear from you every quarter. <laughs> You over there, yeah. you know. I'm not worried about you. You can check in with me once a year. But just as we talk about sort of having um, a shorter leash with some of the stocks that we own, that's how I feel about the the same thing with the with the quarterly reporting. It's like no, that's fine. You know, in the same way that like Berkshire Hathaway, I'm sure Berkshire Hathaway shareholders are like fine once a year. Yeah. We'll check in. We're fine. Yeah. Berkshire Hathaway, Markel, Disney, Procter and Gamble, Johnson Johnson. Those are all good examples of companies that we're we're going to know the general direction where the businesses are going. They're state established businesses. Uh, look at something like Green Mountain Keurig. Yeah, I'd kind of like to know what you guys are doing quarter to quarter because you got a bit of a problem right now. And if you're basing your entire future on sort of this three hundred dollar you know cold soda machine. You know, I might have to take issue with that. I'm not sure it's going to be as successful as, as you do, but um, you know, I, I think that. So, I mean, if I, if I if I was you know a, a CEO or an owner taking a company public today, I, I really would more than likely consider just saying, okay, we're going to report our quarterly earnings, but I'm not going to play that Wall Street game. I'm not going to offer up expectations. I'm not going to play into your guidance because ultimately, you know, that that sort of belittles the fundamentals of the business. And so, I mean, I think you look at something like the Container Store, for example, which has obviously had a very challenging time as a public company. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with expectations that were set from the very beginning. And even a quarter or two into it, where Kip Tyndall said, you know, I'm thinking about maybe rethinking this, and maybe we're just not going to be offering guidance here in, in the coming quarters, because that's what seems to get us into trouble every quarter, is we kind of, you know, we've turned a corner, but but maybe we see some headwinds here or there, and the guidance isn't exactly what Wall Street expects. And, and just because it's what Wall Street expects doesn't make it right. And and certainly the way we invest here, you know, we we invest in in you know terms of years and, and even decades in some cases. I mean, we really do believe in that, and it does 
prove out over time. And I think there are plenty of businesses in our universe that that is sort of bear witness to that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I think it's just it's setting those expectations. I, th- I think ultimately you're setting yourself up for failure at some point, and, and I, I personally could do without them. But by the same token, I do like Earnings Palooza. Don't get me wrong. I mean, getting to come in here <laughs> we to like studio, Earnings, Palooza, Earnings Palooza, and I, I will push back slightly on the conference call. I like, I, I still like the conference calls. I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the questions that get thrown at the uh, management of any given company are, are sort of run of the mill. Uh, they, you know, they're on the spectrum from run-of-the-mill, sort of neutral to incredibly self-serving on the part of the analyst. Right. Maybe if I were in their shoes, I would think the same way. But I, I do think the one thing you get, you can get from those calls, is you get a sense of the temperament. You get because we see, you know, sometimes, you know, a, a CEO or or uh, an executive expressing a level of confidence. You can hear it in their tone of voice, and, and that tells you something as an investor. <laughs> and on the flip side, uh, sometimes they get a little chippy. <laughs> and then you just think, ooh, they're, they're really getting their feathers ruffled well, right what now. You, what you and Bill were talking about yesterday in regard to Lowe's, right? They were saying, well, it's a solid quarter. It's solid. Well, is that... It was a solid quarter. Right. Or was that, hey, it was a solid quarter. I mean, maybe you get a better sort of idea of the temperament on the phone call. And I, and I do think, I, I'm okay with the calls. Um, and maybe you could just sort of follow the Tiffany model and do the call, but just no question and answer. I, I, I could do without the q and I do, I do like the call from that perspective, though. I think you're right. Radio at full.com is our email address uh, from John Lindblom, listener number 42 in San Francisco, 42. referring to... Yesterday's episode of Market Foolery with an email, the subject line of which is, You guys are so ignorant about penguins. <laughs> glad I and then John that. writes, Just so you know, North Pole equals bears, <laughs> South Pole equals penguins. See, that's information for life, and now I know. That, you give me that kind of mathematical equation, I can get my head around that. You know, when you said puffins, the first thing I think of is the peanut butter puffin cereal you get at Trader Joe's. I mean, that's the kind of puffins I know. Yeah. You get those here. Exactly. Right? A uh, question from Sean Park. In wake of Google's recent corporate structure change, I had a random thought. What are the chances that Elon Musk pulls a similar move at some point to create a single holding company that operates as a venture capital with a portfolio of innovative businesses? As a starting point, he could fold in Tesla Motors, SpaceX, and SolarCity under one roof. It would also provide a platform that, at least optically, makes it look like Elon Musk's Attention is no longer divided across multiple companies. Just a thought. I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I think my favorite part of this question is the idea that, well, look, his attention is still going to be divided, but at least optically, it won't look as egregious as it does right now. Because let's face it, it does look like that. Yeah, he looks like. Of he's, course, his attention is divided. He's spread really thin, and I think, um, I think most people that you would speak with uh, who cover. Tesla, for example, would tell you that Tesla isn't really what he wants to be known for after his days are done. I think he is—he's a bigger picture thinker. I mean, he's thinking about life on Mars and how to get there. And so, I think SpaceX is—is is what's got more of his attention. But by the same token, I think when you look at Tesla, you look at Solar City, you look at SpaceX, and you can sort of see—you can connect the dots with all three of those businesses. So, I think that's actually a very good question. Um, because perhaps you know, starting up some sort of umbrella uh, holding company like that would would potentially take a little bit of the scrutiny away from the need for capital or where they may be placing their bets. Um, because these are for sure three lines of work, three businesses that require 
very, very long-term thinking, right? I mean, Tesla making 50,000 cars a year versus Ford's 7 million or whatever. I mean, there, there obviously is a long way to go. Um, and, and Solar City, again, you know, one of those businesses that requires a lot of capital up front. And, you know, you're thinking about sort of that revenue stream of the users in terms of 20 years as they're going to pay their power bills. SpaceX, I mean, golly, you know, it's, it's, we're not even there yet, but they're figuring out ways to get us there. So I don't know, I don't know that he would do that. I think the reasons why Google did that were a little bit different because I think they were starting to fall a bit more under question of, of, you know, hey, what do you have beyond just Google search? I mean, you're an advertising play, but at some point you've got to show us something more or, you know, your growth is going to be limited. And so I think this probably gives Google that chance to, to, you know, try to at least take some of the scrutiny off of the ad play and, and open up maybe some, some financing for other bets. I don't know that we would see uh, something like that from Musk. I don't think he feels that same pressure. I think he does a very good job of communicating with analysts on calls. And hey, listen, you know, we we just think in, in much longer timeframes than, than perhaps you do. Um, but I imagine if if it started becoming a, a bigger question, and if he was being put more and more under the microscope, it it could be a way to sort of change the conversation. Question from Shane Lungwitz in Dallas, Texas. My wife has worked in corporate retail for ten plus years, so I always have an attentive ear to whenever to whatever retail companies get brought up, and there are plenty of them. But more recently, my wife has started working in the off-price segment of the industry, and there seems to be a lot of opportunity here that has not garnered much, if any, attention on the podcast. Some specific examples are TJX, which just hit a new fifty-two week high, uh, Ross, Burlington, Tuesday Morning, etc. Is this a space that you follow much? Uh, do you feel like there's any difference in investing in a company like Gap compared to TJ Maxx, or pick any name brand versus off-price comparison, when it comes to how the stock price will perform because of the difference in the target market as our economy rises and falls? Uh, it's a great question because there, I mean, to Shane's point, there are so many retailers out there. I'll be honest, I'd never even heard of Tuesday Morning. I, I don't think I've yeah. ever. Heard of that business before, but it's a like 400 million, 500 million retailer. Um, to his question, I mean, is there a difference in the investing when you think about if you're looking at the broad universe of retail and you're thinking, okay, I'm looking at retailers that are at least doing a little bit of something with respect to apparel. His example, Gap versus TJ Maxx, that sort of thing. Um, what goes through your mind when you think about sort of the off-price retailers? Yeah, you know, it is it is something that we talk about um, from time to time on our teams. I mean, the 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 biggest hurdle with retail is it's a very difficult industry to find sort of a sustainable advantage. And so, you know, you look at businesses like Coach and Michael Kors, for example, that for the longest time have sort of you know their advantage has been sort of their position in the market as sort of an affordable luxury, and they rely on their brand a little bit. And a brand can be a competitive advantage to a degree, but but I don't know that it's something that you really want to base an investment thesis on. And so we're seeing Michael Kors and Coach really uh, suffering now because you know the market has been more or less saturated with their goods. I think they're losing their status as affordable luxury, and really they're just becoming retail. And in all of this. In the face of businesses like Burlington and TJ Maxx, TJX companies, they have they have been doing really well this year. I mean, if you look at the comparison between companies like Burlington and TJX versus uh, Coach and Michael Kors, the disparity is is huge. 
the the you know the TJX in Burlington are going up, and and Coach and Michael Kors are going down, and and there are a number of reasons for that. But I mean, really, those sort of discount retailers play into a a dynamic that's less focused on a brand and more focused on you know getting something that's affordable. And if you go back to when we were having uh, you know obviously some some troublesome economic economic conditions in in two thousand and seven, eight, nine, ten, you can see where where those discount retailers really perform very well. Um, the the thing is, you have to be really, I think, keyed in on valuation. None of these are investments, I think, where you would want to buy it and just hold blindly. And so then you have to figure out, okay, you need to get them at really peak pessimism. And peak pessimism is typically when you see same store sales are down, margins are under pressure. Um, you know, we we already know they're going to be cutting a lot of deals to get traffic in the door anyway. Uh, but but they run on on razor thin margins, and Burlington very much so. I mean, TJX. Uh, you know, works a little bit of a higher margin uh, than Burlington because they have such a, a bigger store base. Um, so, it's one where you have to really, I think, understand the drivers behind the valuation, buy into those types of companies when when the pessimism is really high, when the consumers feel like they're flush with cash and they're spending their money elsewhere. Um, you'll typically see those stocks maybe suffering a little bit, and that could be where you might consider dipping in. Uh, because when times get a little tighter, those businesses tend to do a little bit better. But then you have to be prepared to pull the trigger and get out just as quickly as you got in. What, yeah, I'm I'm reminded of something uh, our CEO and co-founder Tom Gardner says from time to time, which is that the the stock market is a market of stocks, and the advantage, uh, or I would say one of the advantage in looking at this universe is, as a general rule of thumb, I think these are. Just by the very nature of their business, I think there are plenty of investors who are like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to invest in big lots or, or TJX yeah. or, or Ross or that. No, 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 I'm, lo- I'm looking more at you know something closer to the luxury end of the spectrum. And so you've got fewer people looking at these. But to your point, you need to be even, I, I would argue, even more vigilant about them. Uh, than you would about a general retailer like a Macy's or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because I mean, a general retailer like Macy's, they're going to make their number, uh, make their money a number of different ways. I mean, they obviously are going to benefit from things like mall traffic or just general holiday shopping. Um, and 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 also, I think just the move towards e-commerce. A lot of these, uh, you know, you know, a lot of these sort of discount retailers, they typically don't have as strong of an e-commerce um, market because. It's a little bit more of a sort of impromptu sort of stop in there and see what kind of treasure you can find. I mean, that's you go into a TJ Maxx, for example, you never know what you're going to find there. Uh, but but in many many cases, you will find like a lot of Michael Kors and Coach and Ralph Lauren stuff that is just you know made it down to the liquidation rack, and you can get it for for uh, you know below cost in many cases. Couple of announcements before we wrap up. Uh, next week on Market Foolery, it will be Strategy Week, which as longtime listeners know means. Uh, I'm going on vacation, so I'm so I'm taping I'm taping some stuff ahead of time. So the strategy is how you actually schedule this out before you. Well, yes, and you know, tracks. we we talk about um, you know uh, people learning over time, us learning as investors, and yeah. and management learning from their mistakes. And the first year we did market foolery, I made the mistake of of take, taking a couple of weeks off at the end of August and just thinking, ah, oh, that's fine. We don't have to do market flurry. No it's fine. And oh we the got backlash. We we got some backlash. So next week, strategy week, uh, which means that it'll be pre taped episodes. Uh, but 
you'll have episodes. Yeah. But just you know, if if there's some huge breaking news next week and you're wondering, gee, why are they not talking about it? That's why. Maybe we'll do some impromptu periscopes, right, Allison? If something really breaks, we'll just do like a periscope to cover it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Follow them. Where up. are you going? I'm going to California. Nice. Going up to the Bay Area. Very nice. Uh, also, want to mention um, this Friday, 3 p.m. Uh, Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, Maddie Argusinger, the MDP team will be doing a live chat. Um, so you can just ask the team your investing questions. Uh, here's the link. It's gomdp.fool.com. Let me say that again. GoMDP, G-O-M-D-P, dot fool dot com. If you go to that link, that's there's gonna have uh, that site will have information on the live chat, 3 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Um, you can learn more about the million dollar portfolio service that these guys run, uh, which is open for a limited time. Uh, but more importantly, just you know, tap into the resource of Jason, Simon, and Matt, and and ask some questions and get some answers. Why not? I mean, MDP's. Uh... It's a very, very uh, you know wide. It covers a broad array of, uh, of of holdings here in the Fool, and you know the, the the idea, the premise behind MDP is that we bring our stocks into the, it's a real money portfolio, and all the stocks that are in the portfolio must come from our five uh, you know front end newsletters. So Hidden Gems, Stock Advisor, Income Investor, Inside Value, and Rule Breakers. That's where we get our ideas. And uh, you know it's a lot of fun because we get to we get to kick these stock ideas around pretty much all the time as a team. And uh, you know once we once we get them in the portfolio, we're trying to sort of manage allocations and how we might um, you know trim some from winners in order to raise cash in order to buy more or whatever. But I mean it is a lot of fun because it, it takes sort of that that next step beyond just the newsletter stock idea side, and it really puts it in the context of a portfolio management. Um, Type of service, and uh, yeah, we, we've had a lot of fun with it. You know, we just we just jumped in there in, in the beginning of January as, as a new team, and it's been just a load of fun. We have a great watch list that that you know we choose from as far as the ideas, and um, yeah, really excited about the second half of this year. Um, I'm just going to suggest a, ch- a question for anyone listening who wants to join it. And again, Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, gomdp.fool.com. Because um, I can tell you, because I work with these guys, uh, they're a great team. They work together really well. That does not mean, however, that there's not just a little bit of competition <laughs> among these gentlemen. So, you know, you might want to just ask them, like, okay, what's. Uh, you know what's what's the best idea that uh, you know basically ask Simon what Jason's best idea is put put Simon in the position or vice versa ask Jason to spot up what he thinks Simon's best idea is put or, him on the spot or ask who's the best golfer on the team perhaps I don't I don't you know think that's... who's the best golfer on the team no we're gonna stick to investing <laughs> questions gomdp.fool.com Friday 3 p.m. check it out. Happy Thursday, my friend. Thanks a lot. You too. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.